now, welcome to the Ray Millennial Show, starring Ray the Millennial. And welcome back to the show. As always, if you would like to be interviewed for the show, or if you have any inquiries, please send an email at ray.millennial at protonmail.com. That's R-A-Y dot M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L at protonmail.com. Now today is our third episode in our series of cycles. I want to talk specifically about the book Cycles, The Mysterious Forces That Trigger Events, written by Edward R. Dewey along with Og Mandino, published in 1971. Like I said, this is the third episode in the series, and I'm going to try not to repeat information that I have already talked about in other episodes. So if you have not listened to them yet, I highly encourage you to go back and give them a listen. I wanted to give a summary of this book along with my opinion because, well, it's my show. Now then, when I started reading this book, I had a simple question that I wanted answered for myself. Why isn't the study of cycles more mainstream? The answer, my friends, is more complex than what I had anticipated and even a little dangerous, but we'll come back to that in a sec. Most of the book is pretty much the author connecting raw statistical data from long-term events and occurrences. To his astonishment, many of these seemingly unrelated events occur on the same rhythm. And although it may seem that at times the author is just beating a dead horse, to professionals like economists and scientists, it's important to provide physical evidence. The author alludes to this skepticism throughout the book and it's a little heartbreaking because you can just hear the excitement in his writing. Keep in mind that this book was published in 1971. The author had optimism for the potential in the study of cycles, even for the creation of its very own field of study. Fast forward 50 years later and all we get are a couple of weirdos with websites and a podcast. Let me backtrack a little bit and talk about the author himself. So back in 1929, Edward R. Dewey was a government official working for the Department of Commerce as Chief of Industrial Marketing, then Chief of Current Statistics, and then as Chief Economic Analyst. After the crash of 29, he was assigned the task of discovering why depressions occur. This, my friends, is what had opened the rabbit hole of cycles for him. Of course, there are people out there such as Dr. Hyde Clark, Samuel Benner, Ralph Nelson Elliott, amongst others, that have dedicated their lives to the study of cycles. This book was an interesting read, for the most part. I can understand and appreciate the emphasis that Dewey places on providing physical evidence for his reasoning. And I'm not taking away from that. And even though I am not as hardened or as jaded as some of these professionals out there, I definitely believe that the author could have been concise in the presentation of his information. Which is interesting because even though he talks about writing many more sequels to this book, this first book is like impossible to find. 
Back then, back in 1971, the Foundation for the Study of Cycles even published their findings in magazines, so there was no lack of shortage of the evidence of cycles. Collecting the data in order to construct a cycle is not easy. The data has to be collected over hundreds of years in order to see any kind of rhythm, and the rhythms themselves are not perfect. First, the raw data is collected, then it's converted into a moving average, and finally, the moving average is converted into a percentage value in order to smooth out the waves. There is a glossary that shows six prominent time frames in which cycles occur. The 5.91 year cycle, the 8 year cycle, the 9.2 year cycle, the 9.6 year cycle, the 18.2 year cycle, and finally the 54 year cycle. Now, instead of bogging you down with endless examples, how about I just show you how seemingly unrelated things ebb and flow on the same time frame. For example, on the 5.91 year cycle, we have sunspots, business failures, the price of copper, all occurring on the same rhythm. For the eight year cycle, we have the abundance of red squirrels, Goodyear sales, barometric pressure, precipitation levels, the production of lead occurring on the same rhythm. For the 9.2 year cycle, we have grasshopper abundance, auto sales, lake levels, tree rings, the number of patents issued, all happening in a 9.2 year time frame. For the 9.6 year cycle, we have heart disease, rabbit abundance, salmon abundance, and ozone levels in London and Paris, all fluctuating around the same rhythm. For the 18.2 year cycle, we have marriages, real estate activity, immigration, construction, flood stages of the Nile, all occurring on the same rhythm. And finally, we have the 54-year cycle, Arizona tree rings, European wheat prices, and of course the conjunctive wave all happen on the 54-year cycle. The book also addresses the skepticism of these things being mere coincidences. For that, we have to define the meaning of a cycle and look at the technicalities of what exactly creates a cycle. So without rewriting the book entirely, this is how I've come to understand it. Cycle comes from the Greek root word circle, which means in perpetuity, which means lasting forever. What we're dealing with here is more or less the rhythm of cycles. There are two kinds of cyclic rhythms, internal and external. The internal rhythm can further be categorized into dynamic and feedback. Dynamic meaning caused by actions within a system, such as a bodily rhythm. Feedback is more of a cause and effect kind of deal, such as predator-prey populations or even something like your thermostat triggering your furnace to turn on and off. External rhythms are also known as forced cycles. When humans go through the daily routine of waking up at a certain hour, getting into the shower, brushing your teeth, this routine is being influenced by the 24-hour time cycle that produces sunlight and moonlight. Everything else is considered an accidental cycle. If you see three white Volkswagens driving on the freeway on a Tuesday afternoon, then more than likely that was just a coincidence. 
The argument that is eluded to throughout this entire book is that some external extraterrestrial force guides a lot of our behavior. Eventually, towards the end of the book, the author provides possible explanations as to what those forces can be. Electromagnetism, the position of the planets, sunspots, changes in barometric pressure, long-term weather patterns. So I know that this information I am presenting is going to be frowned upon. I may be even shunned for it. And guess what? I don't care. That's why I made this podcast, to talk about whatever the heck it is I want to talk about. In other words, I don't care about winning. That's not my goal here. My goal here, as I had mentioned in episode one, was to grow as a person and maybe even bring some people along for the ride. And I know that Johnny Mainstream will bear shame on my family. Shame, shame, shame. How dare I have my own intellectual thought? 1,000 years of shame for stringing together my own research. I don't care about that. So with all of that out of the way, we can finally get to the good shit. We can finally talk about why the study of cycles 50 years later isn't as prominent as Dewey had predicted it would be. We're going to talk about the conspiracies of insurance companies. We're going to talk about the reason why this isn't talked about more in universities. We're going to talk about why re- we react to war and disease the way we do, even though it's proven to be somewhat predictable. And we will. We'll talk about all that and more on the very next episode. With all this information bursting out of my ears, I feel like I've just given birth to an economist. Hopefully this episode was informative and maybe even inspired you to buy the book. We'll catch you next time.